This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! And it's in the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. Long time no see, or more accurately, because we're a podcast, audio only. Long time no talk, Scoop Duck Podcast. My name's Matt Bagley. I'm joined across the interwebs by Justin Hopkins of ScoopDuck.com. And there's about a billion topics we could address today. Oregon signing some mammoths on the O-line. Oregon going into the Lone Star State. How about Oregon in the hunt and unfortunately not getting the prize on JTT? But let's take things in a different direction. Just because it feels like a month, maybe a year, maybe more since we've gotten together on a podcast. What's new in your world, my friend? Uh, you know, not too much. I think that uh, I'm going to wager that I'm just trying to navigate summertime like so many other folks and, you know, uh, the folks that have uh, that, that have kids that are, you know, that are parents, you know, you're trying to your routine is completely different because the kids are home all day now and you're yeah. trying to probably balance entertaining them and making sure they're handled and getting your work done. And I'm doing the same thing. So uh, just getting into the swing of things, but trying to have some fun along with it, try to get to the lake, try to take the boat out, try to do some of that fun stuff and, and capitalize on that free time on that summertime. But, uh, yeah, drink some beer, play some cornhole, uh, play some pickleball. I don't know. Just trying to do it all. And, and, uh, I guess live la vida loca as you will. Yeah. What yeah. about you? Well, I, I, I think that your insight is really key. Like I pointed that out on Twitter this week of just, hey, everybody, stay patient. Justin's got a lot of kids, and it's the summer, and all your kids just got out of school. So it, it's understandable that your life gets a little crazy these three months. Um, for me, these three months are crazy because I'm, I'm planning my wedding. Um, and, then, and then we've got the honeymoon after that, so planning that. And then once that's done, hopefully, you know, you cross your fingers. I've got a high school football season to plan for and a college football season to plan for, right? So it's it's been a wild summer. Yeah, no, I it's it's a it's it's been a it's been a wild summer just because you know obviously things seem to be trending more towards what we you know refer to as normal, and so. You know, everybody's still trying to feel that out and feel that process out and figure out what's open and what's not open. And, you know, and then, then you got work shortages everywhere. So you're trying to navigate that. And it feels like we're, we're kind of getting there and still just kind of in that that in between, you know, just kind of in that in between. Like, all right, but uh, we're getting there. People are going out. You know, you're seeing seeing stuff going on. Camping's opening up. The lakes are opening up. Uh, I'm sure for you, uh, it sounds like planning a wedding, you know, you're working on, you know, venues that are opening up and getting staffed again and, yeah. and, you know, all, the, all that kind of, you know, who's, who's available for, you know, for food and, and catering and all that stuff. So, uh, I don't know we're getting there, but I guess, uh, uh, you know, Austin stadium is ready. Cause they're going to, they're going to go a hundred percent this fall and 
So I guess everybody's probably pretty keyed up for that. Yeah. Hey, let's start there. Are you going to do a tailgate this year? Uh, uh, I guess file that in the uh, in between uh, trying to figure out what's next. I, I want to say yes, I want to. Uh, it's fun to get to know people and, and meet people on the site and, and do all that. So I want to say that I'm going to commit to that. And with that being in my mind, I would say that that's probably 90% likely to happen, but uh, I haven't I haven't picked a game. I haven't picked a weekend. I haven't done anything like that just yet. So uh, I'll continue working on that. But yeah, th- those are fun. I love doing that. Throw some beer in the cooler, have everybody come by. Uh, you know, Shelby usually comes by with jello shots and gets everybody good and drunk. So, uh, <laughs> if, you know, a lot, lot of fun, our, our jello shot queen. So uh, yeah, yeah, that would be great. And it would be, uh, you know, I think given the, the past, uh, you know, year, year and a half we've had, I think it would be great for a lot of people uh, as well to be able to s- just to interact once again. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I know for me personally, it's going to be a really busy fall with uh, high school football and then Southern Oregon getting back to their normal schedule. And, and I've always helped them out with some broadcasts, but I'm really hopeful that I can get a press credential this fall it's one of my goals you know use the radio station get a press credential to some ducks games and use it because like i never i never got to use it in the past i i live in you know lived in medford and i'd be three and a half hours away and it's a pain in the ass to drive to eugene and spend all the gas money it's a little easier now where i live and uh i'm hopeful that you know, I'm hopeful you get to go to a couple games this year, and I'm hopeful that I get to go to a couple games this year because it's a, an amazing experience. Well, I did. I did. Uh, for me, just with how everything's gone, I bought a pair of season tickets. Just uh, you know, they were I don't remember. They were you know 500 bucks each or whatever. So I bought. I went ahead and bought a couple season tickets just a to try and help support the university because I know that. You know, this past year has been rough for them, uh, you know, but B, because uh, I want to go to the games. I want to see the games, but I also want to give, uh, you know, my my interns, the workers, uh, the the first dibs on going up in the press box because, you know, to them, they work hard and that's kind of like the reward. You know, that's the fun. So I, I thought, well, you know, this way I won't take up any of the press, you know, press credentials and, and, and those guys can really uh you know take advantage and enjoy that so that that's why i did that uh i i need to be at the games i need to watch the games and do all that but i was trying to uh a have a little fun myself but b also you know make sure that those guys are are having uh what i would call first dibs on on getting up there in the press box because like you said that's it that's kind of a different animal it's fun you get up there it's exciting your blood gets you know kind of gets gets going a little bit um uh, it's just different than covering a game at home for no sure doubt. No doubt. Okay, so let's get into the meat and potatoes of this. Oregon had a whirlwind of a week in recruiting. Going to Texas, getting Hulks back from the Lone Star State, and then trying to get JTT. They don't get JTT, and and I'm curious, with all those headlines in the rearview mirror, uh, was last week a win for the Ducks? Like, 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 if you were to grade that A through F, where does it land? It's tough. Um, you know, it's tough because, you know, uh, the JTT saga, and we're going to call it a saga because it legitimately 
uh, was Ace Saga. You know, that for me, that one's tough because people were so invested in that recruitment. You, we all, we all fans, media, everybody invested so much time in that recruitment mm -hmm. because it went for so long. You're talking about whether he was the number one player, the number three player, you're talking about a top five player nationally, uh, you know, and his recruitment spanned, you know, 18 to 24 mo months for most people. Those are, you know, those aren't just like the diehard fans that have, Hey, you know, I, I started reading about this guy a year ago. Everybody knew about this guy a year ago, 18 months ago, two months ago, or two years ago, excuse me. So uh, the other thing is his recruitment spanned, into a time where there wasn't much else recruiting going on. You know, you're talking about that that February after signing day, March, April, not a lot of activity, at least this year, because things were still on pause from a visit standpoint. Everybody got really invested, and that's when his recruitment heated up the most. Um, you know, there's no, in my mind, you know, I'll say this, there's no doubt that that it was close. There's no doubt you will not, he picked Ohio State, and I don't debate that. There's no doubt in my mind it was close, and I know that that decision was really hard, and it was close with Oregon. So it sucks that Oregon didn't get him. And in recruiting, if you ain't first, you're last. That's 100% true. Um, there's no points for second place. But for Mario Cristobal to have Oregon there that close in that recruitment the way that they did, uh, you know, I, I feel very confident in saying I don't believe that there's a, a, another head coach that's ever been at Oregon that would have had Oregon there, you know, at least at least not that close for that long. So Kelvin Banks, five-star offensive lineman out of Texas, absolute mauler, great-looking player. I mean, this isn't just a five-star for the sake of being a five-star. He's a great-looking player. Mm -hmm. Oregon got him. So I think anything less than a B-plus is unfair to answer your question because Kelvin Banks is such a huge get. Now, you know, of course, JTT stings a little bit. Um but it, I, I guess what takes some of the sting out of it for me is the fact that he didn't go to Washington. He didn't go to USC. He's not still in the, in the Pac-12. If you're Oregon and you have a five-star in your footprint, being that Western footprint, and you're not going to get him, the next best thing is for them to leave the footprint. So, you know, to me, I, I guess that's a small victory in what was a bigger loss, of course. And I still have to give Oregon a B-plus because Calvin Banks – is such an absolute stud that that's such a massive pickup for Oregon. Yeah. Got some questions about Banks and the linemen. Um, JTT, let's, let's put your best Brandon Huffman impersonation on here. Out of the four finalists, UW, USC, Oregon, Ohio State, do you think it came down to Oregon and Ohio State? A thousand percent. You'll never convince me otherwise. I, I, I said this on the site shortly after the commitment. You will not convince me at any point in time, whether it's sour app, sour grapes, whatever you want to call it, that this wasn't Oregon versus Ohio State. You know, I can say quite confidently that all the way up to the announcement, all the way up till he pulled his jacket off and, and, and declared that he was going to Ohio State, Oregon felt like, they they had a chance not like you know hey he's he's still talking to us we feel okay it's like do we think we might be getting this kid and I, I think it was that close it was legitimately razor thin uh you know I, I i i mean i don't follow washington obviously uh as close as i do oregon but i'm fairly confident 
that they knew for a while they were not in that recruitment. USC knew that they were not in that recruitment with any seriousness for a long time. Uh, obviously, you canceled the visit to Alabama, uh, you know, so you, you you pretty well knew that they were out of it at that point. Um, this was 100% Oregon versus Ohio State. And I maintain, I will always maintain, I don't care what anyone says, that it was razor thin. Oregon felt like they were, they didn't feel like he was a lock, but they felt like they were legitimately very close to getting him. And that, you know, ultimately when he made the call, uh, there was some pretty, um, I don't know if sad's the words, but, you know, frustrated, upset, um, disappointed guys, you know, uh, Mario Cristobal and those close to him that, that he, he didn't end up a duck. Not mad, not bitter, not anything like that. Just like, hey, we knew we were in this thing and it was that close and it sucks not to get him. Right. It's like the same feeling you get when you lose a close game. I'm reminded of the Kayvon Thibodeau recruitment because I remember – reading your boards and I remember talking to you when we would produce podcasts every week and you know we'd chat before and after and it really felt like up until the announcement we didn't believe we meaning anybody didn't believe that Kayvon Thibodeau was going to pick Oregon and maybe the final decision was was pretty close razor thin almost uh, were, were you reminded of that recruitment in any way with this jtt saga yeah i mean a little bit i mean and that's the thing that that's what <clears throat> that's what um folks who follow recruiting need to understand is that the higher uh rated the player, the higher ranked the player, the bigger the stakes, right? So it's not very often that, uh, you know, the picture of where a five-star number one player is going. Sometimes it is, but not often. So, you know, if there's a mid-three-star guy out there, <clears throat> you know, let's let's just say, for example, let's take Michael Wooten, for example. He was picking between Oregon and Colorado, uh, you know, when he chose to pick, when he, when he chose the Ducks. You know, that's a, a mid three star guy. I'm not knocking on him, but you didn't have a bunch of analysts close to a bunch of bigger schools, you know, kind of like feeding into a pot of rumors. OK, and, and I, I totally include myself in that, you know, as, as, a, as somebody who follows a recruitment of JTT or a Kelvin Banks or a Kayvon Thibodeau, you got all these guys that are credible, all these guys that do a good job covering the schools that they cover feeding into a pot of rumors, right? And, you know, so, hey, the Oregon guy is feeling good about Oregon. The Texas guy is feeling good about Texas. And up until maybe that very, very final hour or less than that final hour, you know, do do things really start to come out when that recruit, for example, starts to call the other schools and tell them, no, thanks, I'm going somewhere else. Then everybody starts to figure it out. But, you know, that, that, that 24, 48, 72 hours leading up to that moment, leading up to that hour, it's just nothing but a constant flow of things going in there. And, and as somebody like myself, you know, if, uh, you know, for instance, with Kelvin Banks, if somebody like Brian Peroni's talking about, you know, how Texas A&M feels, I'm going to look at that and listen to it because he's a credible guy. He follows that school close. He's got sources down there. You know, I need to pay attention to what he's saying. Uh, you know, if, if somebody, for instance, like Brandon Huffman with the JTT stuff, you know, he, he's kind of touting Washington, uh, you know, and, and Ohio State and some of these others. You know, he never really talked all that much about Oregon, even up until the end, really. I mean, they were almost an afterthought until the last 
you know, month or so, <clears throat> you know, which makes me think, okay, am I just getting information from Oregon and they're not really serious or is he not getting Oregon information? You know, what's going on? I've got to try and break it down. So it makes my job hard. So I, I that was really long winded and, and not particularly what you asked, but I do feel with the cave on Thibodeau thing, you had guys that cover Alabama, you know, kind of feeding into that rumor pot. Hey, look, you know, we feel like we might be getting him, might be getting him. Um, and then I, I just have to go back on the last decade plus that I've been doing this. You know, just like with JTT, Oregon's been left at the altar a lot for some of these guys, and it stings every time. Um, but, you know, there was there has been more. Uh, you know, Oregon has done better, you know, getting a Noah Sewell, getting a Panay Sewell, getting a Kayvon Thibodeau, getting a Justin Flo, not just simply being left at the altar. They're starting to get some of these guys. They're not getting them all, but they're starting to get a lot more of them. And that's a, obviously a, a, a huge, uh, a, a huge benefit, uh, you know, Mario Cristobal being around and recruiting as well as he does. Um, but it definitely makes it hard because they're still not going to get them all. Obviously JTT got away. All right. Now let's talk about the linemen that Mario Cristobal got to green and yellow. Um, the beef, yeah. bringing the beef. I have been carrying water for these line recruits for like three years because the, the measurables are off the charts. All these guys are massive, 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", all of them over 300. It's been that way for years now, but I don't feel like the, the, the past – line recruiting classes for Mario Cristobal have been at that Penne Sewell level yet. And I'm curious, is this class closer? <clears throat> yeah, we, when you get a guy like Kelvin Bix, and I, I, I think you make a, a fair point. You know, I think, <clears throat> you know, there have been some good guys that Oregon has signed uh, in the last couple of years. I do think Bram Walden from last year, uh, is going to be a really good one for the Ducks. But Kelvin Banks is a different breed. This is a guy that, you know, everybody kind of concedes as a five-star, uh, you know, really good player. Um, it's a huge coup to pull him out of there. Not somebody that's really just in the Western footprint. Um, you go back to, you know, the, the, the 2020 class for Oregon, and at least as far as our site is concerned, you know, the, the top-rated uh, offensive lineman was Jonathan Dennis from that class who's a good player but you know he was an 88 you know we had him rated as an 88 a high three-star you know Jalen Jeffers was in that class as well Marcus Harper it was a lot of highly rated three-star guys in that 2020 recruiting cycle got a little bit better last year when you get a guy like Bram Walden and Kingsley Sumataya in there those are four stars those are legit players uh, but I think this is even another step above you know, for Oregon, you get Kelvin Banks. Uh, for us, as as a site, Scoop Duck, uh, we're really high on Cameron Williams. You know, a lot of the services have him around, you know, an 88 uh, as far as his rating goes. We, we've got him as a 93 um, and, and think he could be even higher. So he's a really good get. Also another Texas guy. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of beef. There's a lot of size. Percy Lewis, absolute enigma, right? I mean, Juco kid. Don't really know much about him, but he's six foot nine, 360 pounds. So you can't coach that. You can't teach that. He's just got that. You know, I, I'd heard rumor that he showed up and he's got an 82 inch wingspan. Mm. He's got like 11 and a half size mitts. His hands are huge. I mean, he's got everything you want in an NFL body. Uh, might need some time to develop. But again, we're talking about some really big guys 
Um, I, I, I think these are, you know, with regards to Percy Lewis, we've got him as an 88 on the site, but he's got Georgia, he's got Auburn, he's got legitimate schools recruiting him right now actively today. So, you know, that, te- that tends to lend a lot of merit you know, on what Oregon is seeing and obviously other schools are seeing it as well. So, yeah, I, I think as far as Oregon goes, they're trending the right way with offensive line recruiting. I think this is the most excited I've been about offensive line recruiting since Panay Sewell, you know, Jonah Talanu'u, you know, a couple of big gets from Mario Cristobal. Uh, right now, this is certainly the, the makings of his best offensive line class at Oregon. Where is the the Texas connection on that Oregon coaching staff? You know, I don't know. Like, let's just like if I was if we were talking about USC, there's obvious connections, you know, from USC bringing over several coaches to USC onto that staff that have a Texas connection. And they're also trying to dip into the Lone Lone Star State heavily as well for Oregon. You know, there isn't a coach on staff that, you know, the connection is what opened it up. A, it's Oregon. Uh, and you know, the brand carries really strongly in the state of Texas, in the state of Texas, it always has, you know, the ducks have had past success, bringing kids up, uh, you know, Arion Springs, LaMichael James, just to name a few, few right. guys that have come up and had success. Right. I, I think it really boils down to, uh, just Oregon making a concentrated effort to recruit the state. They identified a handful of guys and said, Hey, look. We think we can, you know, let's let's reach out. Let's see if we got a shot here. Let's see who's responsive. Let's see who's interested. And let's put on the press. And, and you know, Brian McClendon, he's just a coach that can recruit anywhere. If you look at Oregon's wide receiver board, it's not concentrated in any one area. He's got guys from the Eastern Seaboard interested. Obviously, Nicholas Anderson committed out of Texas. Stephen Johnson committed out of Texas. Um, you know, you know. They're in great shape for the top guys in California. You've got Kevin Coleman out of Missouri. I mean, they're all over the map. They're basically just saying, hey, let's go after the top guys. But Brian McClendon is just a really strong recruiter that, you know, says I'll go in anywhere. Uh, Mario Cristobal, we know he's not afraid to go in uh, anywhere and recruit at a high level. I think they're using relationships. I know the Verone McKinley family has really strong relationships and ties in that area. I know they're leaning on that heavily. Uh, getting Stefan Johnson on board early was very valuable because his dad, you know, is a trainer in the in the community down there, knows a lot of these kids, played, you know, football with them back in middle school. You know, that stuff carries over. So I think they've leaned on some of that stuff and just ultimately done nothing more than rolled up their sleeves and said, screw it, let's get into the state. I, I feel... This big effort uh, was based on two things. I feel the big push was based on, on, well, three things, if you will. A, there is an absolute boatload of talent in the state of Texas. We could talk about how much talent there is in California, and there is. Texas has triple that. I mean, it's just a huge state. Football is king down there, produces a ton of talent every year. They can supply all of the schools in Texas and then some uh, with elite talent. Uh, I think for Mario Cristobal, we, you know, he just said, Hey, let's roll up our sleeves and let's go. Let's dig in. Let's get, let's get with these guys and let's recruit hard third. And, and lastly, I, I think that they saw an opening for a couple things. A, you know, Texas had a coaching change, uh, you know, obviously hiring Sarkeesian, bringing him over. I think that was a, a small opening there to start recruiting those guys when there was that transition from Tom Herman to Steve Sarkeesian. 
uh, you know, Steve Sarkeesian's past as a head coach has been, you know, we'll just call it an incomplete grade right now. I have no problem with Sark, but right now, you know, he, he is, uh, he is kind of what Mario Cristobal was when he came to Oregon, a little bit of a checkered pass. You don't know if he's going to get it done or not get it done. Right. Uh, kind of a ch- checkered history as a head coach. So I, I think Oregon saw an opening there. Additionally, if Steve Sarkeesian's getting hired, it means that Texas hasn't been very good, and they really haven't been very good for a while now. So I think all of those elements were kind of key. Texas A&M, the other big recruiter of the state, you know, they're they're kind of a mixed bag. Jimbo Fisher's over there. Uh, you know, some questions about development. Jimbo Fisher doesn't have a lot of friends in the industry outside of his coaching circle. Uh, kind of a tough guy to work for. Um, you know, I, I think that they felt there was an opening to go after Texas A&M a little bit too. So, um, those were all the, I think those, you know, factored into it for Oregon. Um, so, so, um, ignore that little technical blip there at the end, but you, you were talking about how Jimbo Fisher isn't the friendliest guy, doesn't have a lot of deep connections in the state. And my brain started flashing back to Chip Kelly. Do, do you feel that resemblance too? Um, I sort of. I mean, Chip is likable in, in the fact that he treats, treats those guys around him that are close to him really well. Uh, you know, he's got that inner circle and those, you know, those guys are blood to him. I mean, Chip, Chip is loyal uh, I think to a fault in some cases, I, I don't know that Jimbo has a ton of loyalty to anybody. He seems to kind of be, you know, he puts Jimbo Fisher first and, uh, you know, the, the, I don't fault him for that, but it seems to be a drawback. He, again, he doesn't have a lot of close friends. He definitely didn't make friends upon his departure from FSU. I'm not picking on the guy, but he, you know, he certainly, you know, he, he certainly has some, uh, skeletons in the closet if you will so i i i think there's an opening there um you know i i i am certain that he's recruiting the state of texas hard but he's a head coach that came in with relatively no ties to it prior to his arrival at texas a&m so you know that stuff takes time and uh you know again i just think oregon saw an opening there with with texas being down texas a&m maybe not being quite established uh, as they would like to be, and said, "Hey, let's 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 go for it. There's a ton of talent down there, and let's see what happens." And uh, you know, so far it's been it's been very fruitful for the Ducks. So we've gone 26 minutes without talking about those three magic letters that have, <laughs> you know, just completely taken over the internet in the past two weeks. N I L, short for name, image, and likeness, and the new bombshell in college football. Um, I, I'm curious about a week into this new world where student athletes can make money and boosters can pay student athletes money. I'm curious your thoughts on NIL at Oregon. Uh, well, you know, obviously, uh, the, the immediate reaction or the immediate, uh, target becomes Nike. Everybody associates Oregon as Nike U. Now everybody hates Nike because they're going to, you know, facilitate a bunch of funds to Oregon to basically just, you know, give away at their dis- at their pleasure to all the top recruits. You know, so far we haven't really seen that uh, happen. Um, I, I think there's a, an obvious correlation to be made there. 
but I mean, Oregon's got, uh, you know, other folks involved beyond Nike. I, I, I guess so far, here's this. We've seen very few big companies jump in the mix right away. You know, we've seen a lot of folks maybe kind of just standing back and kind of saying, all right, well, it's legal now, but what does that mean? What can we do? What can't we do? I think there is still just an absolute ton of confusion about what's legal, about what's appropriate. And I think that you're seeing a lot of, I, I think you're seeing a lot of the big companies being standoffish at the moment from engaging into anything long-term. And I, I think that's the right move. You know, you don't want to get yourself tangled into something that, you know, later becomes deemed inappropriate or, or could possibly be a violation of a, of a school you support. Um, I'm just as confused about it as everyone else. I, I, the athletes are just about as confused about it as everyone else. That, that's my biggest problem and gripe with it is that it was like, okay, you guys can do this now. And then everybody kind of looks around like, okay, what can we do? What, what can't we do? You know, there's no, there's no, it doesn't seem to be any finite guidelines. And I suppose I, I felt like I was pretty well opposed to this uh, coming into it. And I remain opposed to it, not because I don't want to see student athletes benefit. I just, right now, what we're experiencing is exactly why nobody truly understands what it means, what you can do. I remain in the dark, uh, you know, athletes remain in the dark and, uh, I just don't like it. I feel like it's open Pandora's box and the NCAA kind of went into this and said, Oh yeah, this will work out. And so far, you know, <laughs> nobody really knows what we have. So I'm sure those questions will get answered over the course of time. Uh, again, I, I still, I, I hate, I hate the way that college football is changing. I hate the pace that college football is changing so many things. I don't like it. I think it's reckless. It doesn't mean that I don't believe there isn't a solution that gets some of these players paid or, 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 you know, possibly enhanced for some of their value. But again, I think the way that all of this is being done and, and, and not just this, I'm talking about the uh, college football playoff expansion. I think it's reckless and I don't think it's being well-researched. Okay. So it opens a Pandora's box What's your worst case scenario, say five years from now, the impact of NIL? Uh, you know, for me, the, all this is is the rich get richer. The schools with the big boosters, the, the schools with the big money, they're going to they're gonna continue to benefit as they've done already. I think this creates a bigger divide between, let's just say, a Boise State-level school, maybe an Iowa State type of school, those darlings that we absolutely love to see in the top ten towards the end of the season, making a lot of noise because they've gone 10-0 and or whatever the case might be, uh, you know, those schools are going to have a harder and harder time, uh, you know, uh, battling an Alabama, a Georgia, uh, or even li like we can just use Tennessee, for example. Tennessee's been terrible for a long time with regards to football. They still have a huge booster fan base. They probably, you know, have top five, top ten money nationally as far as colleges go. Um, you, you're not going to compete with them no matter how, you know, badly they perform on the field. So I, I just think this creates a bigger divide. I think that uh, everybody is racing to put this at the forefront and say, hey, look, you come to our school and, 
you know, we have people associated with this company or high up at this company, or, you know, we're affiliated with this company and they're going to use it. And let's just be real. There's not a lot of big companies affiliated with Colorado state or Boise state for that regard. And I hate to use them, but you get my point. You know, there's schools like that all over that once again, I think will, will be pushed further and further down, making things harder. And that's one of my favorite, that's, that's one of my favorite things about college football is we get towards the end of the year and there's a there's a couple of darlings in there that, you know, make it fun. Maybe in Oklahoma State, uh, you know, something like that, Iowa State, that they've been really good for a while, um, you know, makes it really fun. But that's what makes college basketball, the March Madness, even better is all the, you know, all the I know it's a different sport, but but that's, you know, all the Cinderella's, all these, you know, where where did this Dayton team come from? And all of a sudden they're really good. Uh, you know, we're we're just all going to get used to seeing the same, uh, you know, four and eight teams in the college football playoff because there's just no way for anybody else to compete, in my opinion. Okay. Well, well, that answer also would answer the follow-up, which is uh, who are the winners and losers in this thing? It it sounds like, like you said, the rich get richer. Yeah, the the rich will get richer. You know, obviously Alabama, uh, you know, is a huge – is a huge school. They're going to have the deepest pockets. You know, LSU has no problem with boosters. I, I just don't see any, I don't see any way, any way at all that this benefits the smaller schools. And I just feel like we continue to put this greater divide between, you know, uh, the haves and the have nots, if you will. Um, let's, let's tie it back into Oregon. Do you see Oregon on the side of the haves or on the side of the have nots? Uh, they are right on the cusp of the halves. <laughs> well, you know, when I say that, everybody, well, they got Nike money. I know Oregon has Nike money, but let's be real. Phil Knight's not just throwing money at Oregon and saying, right. here, good luck, spend it. Right. You know, he's very calculated. He's a businessman. He's a businessman. He's, he's a got business meetings. Man. He's yeah, got 100%. planning. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. He's not just yeah. Just start throwing it at recruits and sign who you sign. He's not going to do that. Um, now, you know Mario Cristobal's recruiting acumen has definitely propelled Oregon, and they're really close to being in the halves. I think you're seeing this roster, this Oregon football roster, over, roster turnover in a way none of us expected this quickly. Um, you're seeing you know three star guys, low four star guys being pushed out by higher ranked players, by guys that are coming in. And, you know, you got a kid that's been in your program two or three years. It's, you know, six foot two, 220 pounds. Well, guess what? There's a linebacker coming in straight out of high school that's six foot two, 240 pounds. You know, I mean, it's just it's a different breed. And, uh, you know, I Oregon's right there at being the halves. I think they were I think they were poised to be there and be in it until this pandemic hit last year and the Pac-12 really fiddle farted around with the season canceling it not that really set Oregon back and others in the Pac-12 um it doesn't mean that they can't take an, a, a next step with it this year and, and get back to that spot but they're right there knocking on the door um but unfortunately for Oregon the the margin's pretty razor thin you got to continue to recruit well develop well and and your results are going to have to show up on the field this year uh to get into that elite club yeah, Justin Hopkins, uh, you know, shining his insights in recruiting on all of this. Um, aside from Oregon, 
Is there anyone else in the Pac-12 you feel like is on the have side of that divide? In the Pac-12? Yeah. I mean, USC is in the ha- is a have. Um, you know, they've got a big alumni base. They they have the support. Uh, they're uh, you know got a lot lot of national attention. Go ahead and say, well, Jay Hobb, Clay Hilton's there. Yeah, I know Clay Hilton's there, but he's not going to be there forever. Okay, let's be real. We know what's going to happen there. Yeah. And more than likely, at some point, they're going to nail a hire. And USC is going to be back. I mean, they're recruiting really well this year. You can't debate that. Um, they're, they're, they're trending the right, right way in terms of that. Roster management is still an issue. They need, they need to produce on the field. Uh, they obviously need to get rid of Clay Hilton and probably clean house a little bit, but they will. USC has enough money there that they're going to continue to be a have. They're in the club. I know we can joke about how bad they've been the last three, four, five years, and they have been. They're in the club already. Um, I think Washington is close, not as close as Oregon. Uh, they're definitely trending the right, the wrong direction, excuse me. I think there's been some coaching moves that have been questionable. I think Jimmy Lake still hasn't gotten things dialed in, and they're recruiting this year, at least this year and last year have not been great at all. So uh, if the if the margin of error is razor thin for Oregon, it's also razor thin for UW. I like the way Oregon's going. I don't like the way Washington's going. Those are the three in my mind. Um, you know, ASU looks like they're a little bit under fire right now. We don't know what's going to come of some of the allegations down there. Um, outside of that, UCLA, I mean, I love Chip Kelly. I think they're going to be a really good football team this year. I just don't think that program commits its resources to football the way they do basketball. So that's going to continue to be the problem there. Uh, And then Cal and Stanford, I mean, Cal and Stanford are just going to be what they are. I I, I just, you know, they're, they're academic schools. They're really good. I I totally respect what both of those schools put out on the football field. Love David Shaw, have a lot of respect for Justin Wilcox and what he's doing with that program, but they're not in that upper group in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting in the Pac-12 because I've heard the argument from some fan bases, you know, SoCal and, and the Seattle area, the Bay Area, that this is an opportunity for schools in those markets to get a recruiting edge on schools in the college towns, like your Washington State, Oregon, Oregon State, etc. And I don't, I don't get it because... I, I think the college towns are going to have an advantage in this new world. Sure, you aren't going to have the same pool of donors to pull from, right? Like, it makes sense. Stanford has more donors and more money from their alumni base than Oregon does. Stanford's going to have more business opportunity than Oregon would. But on the flip side, if... I am a Stanford football fan. I'm also probably a 49er football fan or a Golden State Warrior basketball fan or a San Francisco Giants or Oakland A's baseball fan. There's a ton of competition in those markets. And in Eugene, there's no competition with Oregon. Oregon owns Eugene. And and Oregon State is the same way in Corvallis. They own Corvallis. So, like, I, I think the... The amount of money might be smaller for some of these athletes at Oregon and, uh, and elsewhere, but I think the opportunity for sponsorships is more fruitful. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I totally agree with that. And I, I, I don't think folks respect 
the University of Oregon and its connections outside of Nike. Everybody, you know, Oregon, Nike, that's all everyone talks about. But there are a lot of, you know, little businesses. There's oh, some yeah. very successful donors that are not named Phil Knight or Pat Kilke- Pat Kilkid- Kilkenny uh, associated with the program. And and I think folks lose uh, kind of lose track of that a little bit. And I, 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 I think once people not only people once businesses once the ncaa and once athletes kind of really get a handle on the nil stuff then we'll kind of see how it comes into play but i I think oregon's i I think oregon's in a great spot to to use it to its advantage and will remain one of the halves oh yeah well i i mean it's easy for me to say uh my, my parents came up and visited my house in beaverton last night and it was the first time they've been up here since I moved up here. And so my fiance and I, we're giving them the tour, right? We're driving past the Nike World Complex. And, oh, yeah, there's Reeser, you know, a couple couple blocks down. And, oh, Intel's on the other side out in Hillsboro, right? Like, it's all right there. You've got three major companies right there. You've got a bunch of companies in the city, in, in downtown Portland. You've got all the opportunities Outside of the Portland metro, like I think about all the humongous breweries in Eugene, Corvallis, and Bend. I, I think about all the farming industry. There is business here. It's just more spread out than in a major market. Yes, no, hundred percent. And it does. You know, I mean, not not all of them are are Fortune five hundred companies. You know, you don't have to be a Fortune five hundred to be a legit, you know, money making company. Right. So. Uh, who knows? Maybe. Well, yeah. Never mind. I don't want to go into. I don't want to go into that foray. So yeah, we'll we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I can only guess at where you were gonna go. We'll just keep it there. Um, I I feel like we hit everything I wanted to ask you about. Um, we we could save some meat on the bone for next time. So I'll put my questions away. Do you have anything you want to address before we hang it up? Uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, what we we maybe haven't done quite as much is just is just some of the uh, the recruiting and commitments. You know, Oregon, you know, obviously picking up uh, four commitments in the past what is it, four days since Thursday um, and then another uh, last Monday. So about eight days ago. I, I mean, that's a heck of a run. Uh, you know, you go and you look at at the commit list and the Ducks have 14 you know, commitments, and we're just into July. We're a few days into July. You know, I, I don't know how he's going to do it, but if Mario Cristobal is going to sign more than than 20 guys in this recruiting cycle, there's definitely going to have to be some attrition at the school. That's just going to have to happen. Right. Um, if that – how do I say this the right way? If – it's a good problem to have. Right. And what that will do is it's not going to say, push out the guys that are starting and the elite guys that are already on the squad. It's going to push some of those guys that see the writing on the wall and, oh. and uh, no slight to them, but the recruiting at Oregon and under Mario Cristobal has progressively gotten better. He came in, you know, did fairly well to, to salvage that class the first year you know, had a really good class the next year and has, has, has had two really strong classes these last two years, you know, and has a, has a hell of a class going for 2022. The, the, the talent level is getting better at Oregon. Now what you have, you know, 
again, we have to remind ourselves last year to me, didn't count. No spring ball, a stupid fall schedule, throw it all away, throw it all away. I know there was games played. I get all that, throw all that crap away. Javon Holland wasn't out there. Should have been Panay Sewell wasn't out there. Should have been, you know, Brady breeze, get rid of it. Wipe it from your memory bank. Okay. Just remember that you're going to have an absolute ton of basically true freshmen, redshirt freshmen, uh, and ultimately redshirt sophomores on that roster out there playing. You have a really young team. Sure, you have some experience. Okay, you got an experienced quarterback, which is tremendous. You've got some experience on your offensive line. It's not all young guys, but it, it's largely made of young guys. This team is poised to take that next step. It still needs another year. These guys got to get in the in the training program. You know, they've got to get with Coach Feld. I think we're going to see um, some more impressive results this year because they weren't able to train the same way last year. Um, I, I, it's just this this team has a whole different feel, and it's just on the cusp of of something. The way they're recruiting, you know, to go and get Kelvin Banks, to, to go and get Nicholas Anderson out of Texas, uh, to go and pull Cameron Williams, all three players that the University of Texas and Texas A&M would have wanted. I, 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 it's massive. It's absolutely massive. You know, TJ Dudley, a guy down in Alabama, I'm not sure he was a take for Alabama, but he was darn near, you know, for anybody else that wanted him in that area. Auburn, you know, some of the big schools, another big poll. So I, I love what this staff is doing, the way they're recruiting. Um, it certainly seems like, at the, and I'm just setting the table here, for you and me, I think we're going to have a good opportunity to go over some stuff the next couple of weeks because it's going to be a little light. You know, all the coaches are currently on vacation. Even Mario Cristobal is not in Eugene. You know, those guys are 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 trying to, to turn their phones off as much as possible, spend some time with the family, and get ready because when they come back in two and a half-ish weeks, <laughs> it's on for it's about on. six months. Yeah. yeah, it's on. There's there's no days off, you know. So uh, just give those guys a break. I know everybody's hot and heavy because recruiting has been so awesome, and you kind of go up on this massive high, and all of a sudden it's like, Poop. wait, what happened? Everybody turn off the lights. What happened? Well, you know, they worked hard to get to that point, and now it's time to kind of, you know, dial it back and just basically get as many guys as you can back on campus for Saturday Night Live on July 31st. So that's kind of what's going on here. Uh, if there aren't some commitments in the next two weeks or if there's few or one or two, you know, just everything, I, as far as I can tell, everything's going as planned. Everything is on track. Everything's going really well. So um, just kind of, if you're a recruiting nut job, like most of you are, just kind of think back in your brain, like, Hey, look, coaches are on vacation. It's a dead period. Everybody's kind of circled July 31st again. Just take it easy. Okay. Matt and myself will get a couple podcasts out in the next couple weeks. And, and, uh, you know, I might do a little bit of trying to, you know, conserve some energy and take a, a, a small bit of time off trying to get ready for a big six months as well. And uh, it, it's just important for me to educate fans on that and kind of understand where we're at, you know, in the process. And, and that's where we are today. Uh, sorry, we didn't get these podcasts done the last couple of weeks. Um, recruiting has been nuts. My schedule has been nuts. Matt's schedule has been nuts. Uh, that's on us. We'll do better about getting these out, even if it's just a 30 minute quickie. But, uh, you know, thank you guys for always tuning in and wanting to hear them. And uh, hopefully Matt and I can keep keep getting these going the next few weeks and, and uh, 
we have plenty to go over, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. You're hitting all the notes that I love to hear. Um, I guess I'll, I'll wrap the pod on this note. Just thank you for listening. Thank you for your patience out there. I, I strongly agree. It's been a wild summer for Justin, wild summer for me. And I know you out there, you've had it too. So just, just thanks for sticking with us and stay with us more because we're going to get more content out for you this summer and uh, try to alleviate that dead period Justin is talking about where the coaches take some time off before everything turns back on again getting ready for fall camp uh we're scoop duck and hi-fi I'm Matt Bagley with 961 580 the game out of Medford Oregon he's Justin Hopkins from scoopduck.com we talk about the Ducks every week right here. Uh, give us a listen, clearly, but also uh, subscribe, share, however you want to do that on uh, whatever app you might use to listen to this. Thanks for listening. Have a great day, and go Ducks. I can do this now.